All right, so we are jumping into this brand new summer series called Humble Beginnings, and really what we're doing is looking at the early church and their humble beginnings, and it's fascinating to me that the early church, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, took off in the way it did, because it really went from uh, just a few people to a lot of people in a quick hurry, and uh, it's really cool to see kind of how they operated early on, and we can see that throughout the book of Acts. I want to challenge you during the series, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, uh, to read it throughout this month of August, so I want to challenge you guys to do that. There's so many cool insights and in seeing how the early church operated. And what I also realized with this idea of a humble beginning is that when anything is going to grow as an organization, that's true for our church as well. Uh, it's true for a group of friends. It's true for your own marriage. Um, if there's going to be sustainable, good growth, it requires humility uh, because we're people, we are flawed, and pride is sneaky. And so pride is something that we're always uh, dealing with. And if we're not careful, um, it can wreck relationships. It can wreck organizations. It can wreck movements. So it requires a lot of humility along the way. So we're going to look at how the early church operated and how it grew the way it did during the series. And so just to jump in today, I want to ask you about a time. I want you to think about a time where you've thought this question. You've thought, what now? What now? Have you ever been in this place where you're like, okay, now I'm here, what now? And I've seen it most, uh, most appropriately like played out in, a, in like childbirth or like when you first get your, your first kid and you're holding that baby from the hospital and you're at home and you're like, well, that was so much buildup, so much anticipation for this moment. And now you're here and you're like, well, you know, looking at the next 18 years at least of your life and you're like, shoot, what now? I mean, Josh, Josh is probably experiencing that right now. I know I did the first couple, uh, the first kids, uh, the kids that we had, I looked at him. I'm like, well, it's nine months of anticipation build up for this moment. And you're like, yes, we're, this is so awesome. And it is so awesome. But then you get home and you're like, okay, but like, what do we do now? And it's the same thing is true. It's, it's true in marriage as well. Um, when you, you have the anticipation, the buildup of a, of an engagement, and then you get to that moment where you're finally married. And usually this what now moment probably comes uh, about a year after you get married, after the honeymoon phase is over. And you're like, okay, till death do us part. We've got a few more years of this. Like what now? And it's not a bad thing. It's just the realization of, of, of reality of like, okay, I'm faced with this thing. And we're faced with it in a new, a new job. I remember when I uh, got this job last summer, it's been just actually exactly a year now. And when I stepped into this role, it was kind of a long process to get there. And I remember just having so much um, into the process and so much thought, so much time into this, so much prayer into it. And then I finally got the job and I come here for the first day and I'm like, all right, now we've got work to do, right? What now? And, and we see these moments uh, throughout our lives. And, and when we look at the book of Acts, we see the early church in their great what now moment. I mean, you think about the anticipation. There was 400 years of silence before Jesus or actually John the Baptist came onto the scene and was like, hey, something new is coming. And then they find out through this whirlwind ministry of about three years of Jesus that Jesus actually is the son of God coming to redeem humanity. 
And, and it was three years of miracles and, and incredible things that all culminated to the point where Jesus was arrested and his disciples were terrified. But then he came back from back to life, which is something that people don't normally do. So, you know, they were, they were just like blown away, like, oh, this guy really is the son of God. And everything changed. And then he was with them for a time, encouraging them. And he goes to ascend into heaven. And they're left with this moment, okay, well, what now? What, 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 the work begins now, but how, how do we even go about this? What is this even supposed to look like? And throughout the book of Acts, we get a glimpse into the early church to see how it was that they addressed this question, what now? And they did it pretty well. And I think there's so many uh, applicable things to our own life and to our own ministries and our own church here as well. So we're going to explore that during the series. And before we even get to Acts, if you uh, were to ask the question to Jesus during his earthly ministry, we see a lot of this recorded throughout the Gospels. Um, We see that Jesus was actually asked kind of a question like this. Um, Someone came to him, a, a teacher of Uh, or a a leader in the religious uh, law, the Pharisees, came up to Jesus and they said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trip him up into something. So they asked, hey, if you were to distill everything down that it is we're supposed to do, what is the greatest commandment? So they asked Jesus this question. He responds in this way. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. I mean, this is a big one. And I want to ask you just candidly this morning, how are we doing with that? I mean, when I signed up to be a Christian and growing up in the church, it's like, if this is the greatest commandment, I thought church was just like showing up on a Sunday morning. I thought that's what being a Christian was all about, just to be honest with you. This, this looks a lot more like total devotion to God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's, it's complete and total devotion. And whether you're a Jesus person or not, and if you're not a Jesus person today in here, you're kind of getting the inner workings. You get to see behind the scenes today. But uh, if you're a Jesus person, this may be new to you. It, it may not be what you thought you signed up for when you said a prayer and you're like, yeah, I want to be a Jesus person. But this is, this is like where it starts. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And he says this is the first and greatest commandment. And he says the second one is equally important. He says love your neighbor as yourself. And I go back and forth. I'm like, I don't know which one of these is harder. They're more difficult at different times. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you kidding me? And he goes on to say the entire law, all the demands of the prophets, everything that these Pharisees and these Jewish people would have known to be true. He's like, it's all summarized in these two things. Yeah, those 613 laws and then all the other oral laws on top of it. Like, they're all just distilled into these two things. Love God and love others. And so when we ask this question, what now? We can look at the life of Jesus and see that it's pretty clear we're to love God and we're to love others. And and for me, if you're like me and you need a little more clarity than that, you're like, well, that's kind of broad. He does go a little bit further. And we see this pick pick up in the beginning of Acts when Jesus was completing his earthly ministry and he's leaving the disciples with the church work to continue on the way to tell people about what Jesus had done for humanity, we see this in Acts 1.8. He says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, 
in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the surrounding areas, all the way to Samaria, which they didn't really like the Samaritans, so that's a big thing in and of themselves, and to the ends of the earth, the, the Gentiles, the, the pagans, all the people that you don't associate with, like you're going to be going into all the world and telling them about what I just did for the world. I mean, that's, that's, a, big, that's a big ask. So when we ask this question, Maybe you're a new Jesus follower, or maybe you're not sure about it yet, or you've been following Jesus for a long time. If you ask this question, what now? According to Jesus, we're to love God, we're to love others, and then we're to go do something. And I feel like that gives some clarity, that gives some framework to what it is that we're supposed to do. I remember hearing this guy that you guys get to hear in, in October, actually. His name's Dan Bauman. He's a f- fascinating story, incredible, unique story. He was in prison in Iran for, for like nine weeks, beaten, tortured, all this stuff because they thought he was a spy and has a crazy story of God coming through in those moments. And this guy, when I look at him, I'm like, that's someone who's close to the heart of God. I mean, he's done things and seen things that uh, hopefully I'll never do or see, like incredible, incredible things, difficult things. But he talks about how every day he gets up in the morning and just asks God, like, what do you want me to do today? And you would like for there to be just clarity. It's like, hey, this is what I want you to do. Exactly. And he's like, most days, it's not like that. Most days, it's not. And what he's kind of resulted in is like, you look at scripture and it's like, okay, love God. You love others. And then you go do something. Just because he doesn't give you something clearly to do doesn't mean you're exempt from the work. It's like, we all have this. This is for all Jesus people. We love God, love others. And do something. And, and, and again, as I look at the church and I look at my own life, and sometimes I try to relate things to other people that, um, you know, they can't relate to. So I hope I'm not the only one like this. But I grew up in a church and I grew up believing that Christianity was more or less a ticket to heaven. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's like, okay, there's a bad place you can go and there's a good place you can go. And I'd rather not go to the bad place. Actually, I don't even want to go to the good place that bad, but I just definitely want to stay away from the bad place. So, hey, I'm willing to say a prayer try to be good. And then I realized trying to be good was a lot of work. So I'm like, I can just try not to be as bad as some other people. And maybe that'll be good enough. I mean, just being honest with you. And I think a lot of us get this mindset. And when you look around at the, at the, the, United, the church in the, in the United States, especially, I mean, there's a lot of just this casual Christianity. And when you look at scripture, it's like, it can't be like that. We're to love God. We're to love others. And we are to go do something. In fact, there's a sobering verse in, in, in Matthew 7:21, as Jesus is wrapping up his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He gets to this point where he says, hey, not everybody who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says, instead, only those who do the will of my Father. This is an active participation in his kingdom work that he's calling us to. And, and even as he goes on, he said he's going to look at people in the day and say, I never knew you. And that's a sobering thing to me, knowing that there could be people within the church that think they're doing it right, but we're actually doing it wrong. And I think we need to go to scripture all the time and be constantly checking ourselves and being like, God, is this where you want me? Is this what you have for me? And being really honest with ourselves. You know, being a Christian is so much more than a ticket to heaven. It's so much more than attending church, you know, what the average is one to two and a half times a month. It's so much more than that. 
It's so much more than just simply a religious thing or a value system. Um, and, and I would argue that if, if you like, oh, you know, do, loving God, loving others, that's, that's such a burdensome thing. Like, how am I ever supposed to do that? That sounds lame. That sounds boring. That sounds like a lot of work. And I would just argue that if your version of Christianity is burdensome, maybe you got the wrong kind. Because I look at Jesus and I'm like, man, you know, when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is kind. He's like, take my yoke upon you. He's going to walk us in that. And that, that to me, that doesn't sound like a burden something. And the reality is, is that walking in God's will, in my experience and the experience of people around me that have witnessed this, that there's more love, there's more peace, there's more hope, there's no more purpose, and there's more joy than you'll find anywhere else in life. And that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. So you may, you know, and you'd be right in saying this, this doing something is still difficult. Like, what is that even supposed to look like? How are we supposed to tell people about Jesus? And I think one of the most important things we need to do is to be literate in what it is that we're talking about. Because it's great. I think testimony is one of the most incredible things that we can do. When we talk about how we were lost, like that song is talking about, we were lost and now we're found. Like that old man is dead and now I have new life possible in Christ. Those are incredible stories and we can do that a lot and we should do that a lot. Encourage people with our own faith stories. But at some point they're, they're going to start asking questions like, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? All this stuff. We owe it to ourselves as Jesus people to be literate in what it is that we're sharing, what it is that we're talking about. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever tried to explain something to someone that you don't actually know yourself. I mean, what is that? what happens there. It's not effective. It can be painful. It can be awkward. And more than anything, I think it comes off as insincere. When you're trying to explain to someone something that you don't know yourself, it comes off as insincere. I remember as a youth pastor, when I was first uh, getting into it, I realized that young people, uh, they don't like being talked down to. And so often people do. Adults get in there and they're like, hey, you know, these kids don't really know. They're just middle schoolers or they're just high schoolers. So they try to pull one over on them like, oh, let me talk down to you. Let me talk to you in ways that you'll understand. Kids sniff that out so fast. Like they know it and they hate it. They will, they will shut you out. They will turn you off and they're like, no, I'm, I'm not listening to this guy. So I made it a point. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to expect them to rise up to my level of talking. Like I'm going to talk to them like they're adults. And I think they appreciate it because when we're insincere, people turn, turn it off and they don't want to listen to you. And again, man, I, years ago I had the opportunity um, to, to go serve at a kid's camp that I went to. Um, and it was like some of my most amazing uh, moments of my childhood were at this camp. And so I had the unique opportunity to go back. They didn't want me. They wanted my wife because she was a nurse and they needed a camp nurse. But I got to tag along and I got to hang out and I was just doing like work duty. You know, I was like cutting down blackberries and doing all this fun stuff. Like the third day we were there, they, they were like, hey, you're going to help out games today. I'm like, oh, games, that's fun. I was probably like 24, 25, leading a team of like 16-year-old boys and girls. And it was kind of fun. And they're like, oh, you're going to do games. I'm like, games is better than cutting down blackberry bushes. So I got to go do games. I went to games, and there was a 50-foot rock wall with kids. I mean, we're talking like pre-middle school age kids. And they're like, oh, okay, you're, you're a big guy. Like, you'll figure it out. And I'm like, I don't know any. I've never been rock climbing. <laughs> Please don't ask me to do this. They teach me how to rock climb, or they teach me how to belay people in like 10 minutes. I just don't drop them, you know. And I'm like, 
I'm terrified. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Don't make me do this. I don't want to be responsible for a kid like getting splattered in front of me. I mean, it's horrible. I'm thinking about this. I'm like, please don't make me do this. And what's worse is about an hour later, someone comes and releases me like an 18-year-old. And I'm like, all right, have you done this before? They're like, no. Now I have to teach someone to do something that I have no idea how to do myself, and now I'm responsible for this 18-year-old being responsible for these, like, 10-year-olds climbing this 50-foot wall. And I'm just like, this is horrible. And I'm like, I think this is how it works, and you put the rope, and you just, please don't drop it, you know? But when we try to teach people, and we try to tell people about something we don't know ourselves, it comes off, and it, it can be painful. It can be awkward, and, and at the very least, it's, it's, it's an insincere thing to do. So when it comes to doing something with sharing your faith, I'm going to give us a quick crash course and what this looks like. And you've got to do the research for yourself, but I'm just going to give you a quick overview. Um, and you start at the beginning, you know, fall of man. God and man, you know, God created the world and everything in it. The people were there in perfect communion with God. Everything was good. Man was like, hey, you know what? I think I can do this better than you. God, you're, not, you're doing a good job, but we think we can do a better job. And so that moment, sin entered the world, they ate the apple, you know the story. And, and, and the relationship between God and man, there was a riff there. And we were separated, and sin entered the world. But God wasn't done yet, because he showed up and he started his rescue plan through this guy named Abraham. Right? He came to Abraham and he's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And we picked this up in Genesis 12 too. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to other people. I will bless you or bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families, all the families, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. How many of the families? All the families. And so this was significant because he's like, hey, the whole world's going to be blessed through this, not just the people that I'm building here, the Israelites. All the world is going to be blessed through your descendants, Abraham. And just to fast forward, you know, there was, there was Moses, and, and they got out of Egypt. God was there for them. There was, the, you know, the, the Israelites just wandered through the desert for a while. They made it to the promised land. Finally, there were judges, there were kings, and everybody just kind of was back and forth and more back than it was forth, and, and the people just, just really uh, rebelled. And, and finally, there was silence for 400 years. Silence. And then this guy came onto the scene. His name was John the Baptist. And we picked this up in Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness. And he began preaching. His message was this, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. How many of you guys think that if you went out right now and stood on the street corner and said this, it would go over well? And this is fascinating because John the Baptist, and we read in other accounts that he was drawing thousands and thousands of people. In fact, they said the entire Judean countryside was there. That may have been hyperbole, but regardless, there was a ton of people showing up to be like, hey, sign me up. I need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. So it's this fascinating thing. And what we see is this, this, this vein throughout the course of human history. God's redemption plan was now drawing near. And John the Baptist is like, hey, repent of your sins. The kingdom of heaven is near. And, and many people thought, well, John must be the savior. He's the one who's bringing this in. And, and John would look later and he's like, hey, I'm not the guy. And he looked at Jesus and he said, hey, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the one. 
That's the guy who's doing all of it. That's the one who's the, the promise that God gave to Abraham was going to be fulfilled through. That was the guy. Jesus was the guy. And of course, it was done through Jesus' death and through his resurrection. And I would encourage you to read this for yourself because it is, uh, you know, there's a lot going on there and we can see it all throughout scripture. And if that's too much for you, though, I'm going to give you the, the Cliff Notes version or the Spark Notes. I don't know what we use these days. Um, but uh, let me give you the chat GPT version. We use that one. It would go something like this. In Romans, Paul, who's a primary, primary character throughout the book of Acts, um, he said this. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. All have sinned. And he lays it out. This is, this is humanity without God. This is humanity's problem. This is where we're at. Our state, apart from God, we have all sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. And then he goes on in Romans 5.8 and he says, but God, and I love statements. Paul uses these uh, throughout his, uh, his letters to the church. He says, but God, and that means not but you right? That means, but he had to do something that we couldn't do ourselves. But God demonstrates his, lo his great love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's pos our position apart from God is like, we're dead. We have nothing. But with God, we have life possible through his son, Jesus. And it's an incredible thing. And that's, that's kind of, that's, that's what we're telling people about. It's like, without him, we are nothing, nothing but with him, Things are possible, and it's an incredible, incredible thing. That's the good news of Jesus and what he came to do. So I want to talk about what this looks like more practically, because, again, we like the practical things. You may be thinking, oh, say, I have to love God, I have to love others, and I have to do something. Am I going to go home and, and just start preaching to everybody in my house that doesn't know Jesus? Am I going to go uh, to my workplace and just be like, I got to get the shirt on that says I'm a Jesus follower, get one of the bracelets if they still have those WWJD so people will ask and you'll have that open door. Did that not land? Do we, do we even know what those are anymore? It's bracelets. You could probably find them on Amazon. Someone should look into that. Maybe we'll bring them back. Um, but, but, you know, like, what is that even supposed to look like? Are we supposed to go do missions trips like Paliah? Maybe. Are we supposed to go preach? Maybe. It's not all about preaching, though. It, it could be that. It could be other things as well. And I think the question, the what is it that we're supposed to do, is the wrong question. Because we want to know the what. We want to know exactly, God, would you just tell me, like, exactly what I'm supposed to do? We Oftentimes, we don't get that. So the what we are doing may be the wrong question to ask. And I think what we can take from Scripture and the book of Acts specifically is that uh, doing something isn't optional. It's not optional. The doing part, it's not like it's reserved for missionaries. It's not reserved for preachers. It's not reserved for teachers. Doing something isn't optional. Instead, it's active. It's for everybody. And this can be hard, but the reality is, and look, don't shoot the messenger. If I'm stirring your faith today, if I'm challenging what, I don't care how long you've been in church, and, and you're like, I, I don't know about this, I didn't make this up. I'm just reading the Bible, okay? It's not optional. It's an active thing for all of us to do. We all have a part in this. 
And this is good news. We all have a part in it. And if you read through and you, you'll see it yourself because you're going to read it this week, right? Acts. When you get to Acts chapter 6, you see the early church really taking off and they're, they're, they start appointing different people because it was just the apostles. They, are, they were just telling people about Jesus and what he had done. But then it's like, okay, now they have widows to take care of. Who's going to take care of the widows? Well, we're over here preaching. Stephen, why don't you go take care of the widows and you handle food and stuff like that. So they were, they were, they were uh, giving out responsibilities that people in their different unique giftings have the ability to do. So it may look like preaching. It may look like going on missions trips. It may not, but it is participatory for all of us. And I think Branches is a great place to do that shameless plug for this organization to serve here. But there's all sorts of different ways that you can serve, all sorts of different ways that you can participate in this kingdom work. Kingdom work isn't just reserved for preachers or missionaries. Again, if you look at Romans 12, uh, Paul talks about this too. It's like we all have unique gifts. We all have ways that we're wired, uh, different ways in which we can help by encouraging, by giving, by showing mercy, by serving other people. It's not just all about preaching. So as we seek to answer this question completely, what now? When we get to this place of what now? Throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to explore it throughout this series, we see these three themes throughout the lives of the people in the early church. And they give us a roadmap to how it is that we're supposed to conduct ourselves as Jesus people. Again, nobody exempt from this. The first one is we're to love God. We're to love God. How do we love God? I mean, what does that look like? We've got to stay connected to him. We have to stay connected to him. In the, in the words of Jesus himself, he says this in John 15, 5, and this probably sounds familiar to you if you've been around uh, church much or if you've been a part of branches, certainly because it has our name in it. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, they will produce much fruit. And this is like the fun part about it. Right? It's like, man, we like accomplishing things. We like producing fruit. That sounds nice. Those who remain in me, those who stay connected to Jesus, he's saying, will produce much fruit. And we like to think, and if, you know, uh, even again, if you're not a Jesus person or maybe you got the wrong idea about it and you're within the church that, hey, apart from him, we can do like, you know, we can't be as efficient, but we can get some stuff done. And the sobering line from Jesus, he says next, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's a sobering thought. He's like, everything good that you're going to do for the kingdom work has to flow out of relationship with me. I mean, that's, that's something we cannot miss as Jesus people. It's so vital that we get this part, right? Because everything good comes from communion, with, from relationship with Jesus. And then we are, of course, supposed to love others. Jesus' words, not mine. And I think the best way we do this, when we look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 1, this is Paul talking. He says, imitate God, therefore, in what? In everything that you do. Everything. All of it. Your whole life is kingdom work. Look at it from that perspective. Because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. For he loved us, and we look at the life of Christ. I mean, he sacrificially laid himself down. He was, the, in essence, humility. He put others before himself. And when you look at the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma 
to God. So to love others, what do we do? We imitate God. We follow the example that Jesus laid out for us. We are to love others. We are supposed to operate in humility as we relate to other people. And through that, we bless the world. It's an active, everyday thing. It's, it extends to all parts of our life. Church isn't something you do on a Sunday morning. It's not something you do just in your small group. It's something that we're all participating in. We're all active. And then, and then of course, we go do something. And I think this doing something, it comes naturally when we are connected to God because that's where it starts, right? Everything flows through that place. And then we begin to look like him. We follow his example. And then the doing something, that becomes second nature. It extends into all parts of our life and it becomes just what we do. So we're better equipped and better able to do what Jesus commanded us in Acts 1.8, where he says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I just want to challenge you today, church, to be active in your faith. Be active in your faith. Again, we have things that we can look around at our communities and our schools and we, things that we're frustrated with, especially as parents or, you know, it gets political, it gets into all these other things. And, and it's like the answer is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so if we want to see change in our community, it's like we participate in that. We don't stand on the sidelines pointing fingers. We, we don't view church and Christianity as what we can get out of it. And we're honored and privileged to participate in the kingdom work that he's laid before us. And when the time is right, you'll have those moments where you can be like, yeah, you need Jesus. It may be every day, it may be on occasion, but the reality is, is that we're walking in that day in and day out, modeling Jesus and what he did in our words and in our conduct. We're, we're leading and showing Jesus in our marriages, in our parenting, in our grandparenting, in the way that we conduct ourselves at work, online, on social media. Like it's all aspects of that. And it branches. I mean, that's why this is our mission to be an authentic community following Jesus. That's what we're after, to follow Jesus' examples, to be humble people who are actively living out the gospel day in and day out, to being true to who Jesus was and who he's guided us and showed us uh, that we can be, to be in communion with him, to walk with him deeply day in and day out. And as we do that, God begins to work through us. And it's an incredible, incredible thing. As we remain in him, we bless the world, and as we bless the world, we proclaim his goodness and what he's done for us. I want to extend an opportunity this morning. If you need prayer for anything relating to this, if, you, if your heart's stirred today and you're like, man, I just, I just need someone to join me in prayer, we're going to have our prayer team right over here. We would love to stand with you and pray. Jonathan and his team is going to be over there ready to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. We've got that going on every week, and I just want to pray for us as we uh, go into this last song. Lord, would you speak to us right now? Would you show us your best for our lives? Would you point out the areas in our lives that aren't consistent with you and what you've called us into, God? Would you awaken us to the reality of life in you with all its purpose and its fullness and its meaning 
It's joy, it's love, it's hope. God, we need you. Would you guide this church into your best, Lord, as we go throughout this week? Speak to us and use us mightily. In Jesus' name, amen.